Hello and welcome behind the bar of A Pint of Cthulhu. Today I'm joined by my co-host Jay, as well as the two creators of the very fun and very enjoyable Salvage Union. Would you like to say hello guys and introduce yourselves? Yeah, so I'm uh, Panny, I'm uh, one of the writers and designers of Salvage Union. Uh, I'm Aled, um, uh, yeah, also had a hand in the design, but I tend to focus more on the uh, graphic and production side of things, uh, layout and stuff like that. Well, we'll start with the all-encompassing the all icebreaker that we ask every guest. If you could say a pint of Cthulhu was any type of drink, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, Jesus wept. Something with wormwood in it. Um, some yeah, kind of absinthe it's, it's, cocktail, it's, definitely. Yeah, it's absinthe um, and Guinness. Abs oh, absinthe and Guinness, yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, no. That but also, no, okay. <laughs> so I actually have like a gin from the Isle of Harris, and when we went to the distillery to buy it, they had like this um, little vial dropper thing that they sell you along with it. And it's like a concentrated seaweed essence to put in the like gin and tonic. So definitely have some of that in it yeah. as well, right? For that, that, that sea taste. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got to taste like the sea. Yeah. It's, it's got to taste really, really grim and also get you massively wasted. Yeah. So, and a like, bit hallucinogenic. And a bit hallucinogenic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hence, hence the, the absinthe. absinthe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No. Um, but no, I like the Guinness, actually. Yeah. That's, that's a good addition. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to yeah. try that now. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> as horrifying as that sounds, I'm probably going to have to try that. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised how easy that question was. Like when you first asked it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure. But we actually, yeah, no. I think you asked the right people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what's you two's history with TTRPGs? What ones have you played a lot of? What ones have you seen a lot of? Uh, so, yeah, I've been. Um, playing TTRPG since uh, I was a teenager. I started with uh, Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition of all the editions um, and uh, run a good campaign of that for me and my friends um, for a long time. And then um, when I sort of got a bit older and ended up in uni, I joined the Game Society there and then we played a, a huge variety of games and that's when I sort of got um, interested in more of the indie game scene. I found, uh, so my friend run me Dogs in the Vineyard uh, by Vincent Baker which is um, you play as kind of like Mormon clerics who go around a sort of Wild West setting. Um, and um, it has a really interesting uh, escalation mechanic um, where you have to go from like sort of verbal sort of sparring to like fist fighting to finally shooting. And it was like just a really interesting take versus sort of the D&D uh, you know, &D games I was used to where, you know, if someone annoyed you, you'd immediately throw a fireball at them. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, and obviously yeah, Vincent Baker, quite um, quite a clever guy, ended up um, creating uh, the Power by the Apocalypse system, um, which has uh, turned out to be pretty uh, pretty good. Uh, and then yeah, I got into that as well. So yeah, that was sort of my um, my TTRPG journey in a, in a in a brief nutshell, going from D and D to kind of indie stuff, um, and then um, onwards and upwards, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, know, I never really actually played any um, real games. Um, when I was like 10, um, uh, me and a mate um, decided we wanted to like play a story gamey thing. I don't know, we, we just kind of made it up. So we've been playing a lot of uh, 40K. So we took like the stat lines from 40K and made characters based on those stat lines. And then I drew a map and um, uh, we sort of accidentally started playing RPGs. And then I did that for like <laughs> literally 16 years, and it wasn't um, until I was in my mid 20s that I actually played D and D for the first time. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and then it just actually felt really weird because there was so many fucking rules. Sorry, can I swear? By the way, 
Um, oh yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, yeah. So many fucking rules, and I just couldn't keep track of all of it. So like, um, I've always been since then on like the rules like side of things, and more like of an FKR vibe because um, it's always been kind of made up things. But yeah, in the last sort of like ten years, I guess I've played like you know tried to deliberately expose myself to a lot of things. Penny's helped with that, running a lot of stuff on. So yeah, yeah. Um, no, I've, yeah. I've, I've deliberately exposed you to a lot of things. Uh, yeah, thanks, Penny. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, you kind of already answered one of the ones we've gone ask, so we'll skip forward one. Um, so, Salvage Union, what inspired you? What was the start of how you guys came about creating this? Uh, so, that was actually um, the, the initial concept wasn't for an RPG, it was for a tabletop game. Um, and it was because um, Games Workshop released Horus Heresy that uh, a lot of the boys that I know from back home um, wanted to play. And um, I saw the price of it, and I was like, "Screw that! I'm not paying that. Um, I'll make my own game." T tabletop um, war game. Yeah, tabletop war game. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, no. So it sort of started as that, and um, I, was, I was sort of building this tabletop war game thing. Um, but you know, uh, obviously, tabletop war games are outrageously expensive to even get off the ground. And I had like a little playtest set and stuff, but it was it was a bit um, it was a bit shit. I'm not gonna lie. Um, it was you know the the first idea that you have, and you just run with it. Um, but um, yeah, no, um, then we were down the pub, weren't we? And um, uh, chatting about stuff. And um, we'd both sort of spun off um, and we were trying to do our own thing um, separately. And um, I was like, hey, you know, I'm really stuck with this project because I'm really bad at like writing stuff and actually committing things to paper. And um, Panny's got obviously a lot of experience in RPGs and stuff. So I was like, do you fancy teaming up? And um, yeah, that's kind of how we went with it. And um, yeah, you dev it out from what I had, and um, uh, wrote it all out, and um, I carried on the way. On it. Yeah, no, I think that was the um, broad gist, and that's where we. Um, <coughs> so we went, we went for a few um, iterations initially because um, so Anna had a lot of um, initial prep from the war game um, that um, he was developing around that concept. Um, and um, so I took it and I was like, how do we RPGify this? Uh, and um, <clears throat> and the question there was in like sort of what sort of genre of RPG should we put it in? Uh, then we looked at a few like, um, well, like as I said, like PBTA is obviously a, a pretty big genre. And um, Blades in the Dark was also um, a sort of interesting idea. But then obviously Beam Saber existed, uh, which uh, sort of cornered that um, area of the market and uh, did it very well. So it felt like treading on those toes didn't work. Um, we could have gone ultra, sort of ultra, ultra light. Because, um, I mean, I'm quite influenced by, like, old school D&D. That's one of my sort of favourite games. Um, like, basic and expert D&D and uh, old school essentials at the moment, which is a, a sort of reiteration of that with good layout. I really love that. And um, so, like, an, an ultra rules light version um, could be interesting. But then the mecha hack um, already existed and is very good as well. So, again, we didn't want to tread on those toes. And... Um, then there was this RPG called Quest, which um, Alad had um, already, like, um, in some of the playtests, Alad did with the uh, original yeah. um, sort of version, uh, like, original RPG version of it. Um, kind of used the resolution mechanic from Quest, because it is a good, like, it's a D20 variable core resolution mechanic, um, which is um, just really clean and simple. 
you know, you roll a d20 and uh, you succeed, you effectively succeed, critical succeed, succeed with uh, a tough choice, you know, succeed with consequence, um, or you fail with consequence, or you critically fail with, like, a severe consequence. So it's um, it's just very clean. There's no modifiers or stats or anything to that. So you can just focus on, like, the narrative and the roleplay. So that was already there. And then I was like, well, why don't we just, like, do, do, do all of Quest? It has an open SRD. Why don't we port, uh, why don't we port Quest sort of entirely... In, yeah. into a, in, you know, hack, like the, hack it entirely into a yeah, and then the abilities yeah. become like the systems and modules and stuff like yeah, that yeah 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 and that was the yeah. logic um, and it was like because the, the real thing was like how do we because we wanted a simple mech game but it was like how do we make a game feel like it's still a crunchier mech game you know, and, and you know, I love like BattleTech, for example, and I love you know, like you know, being able to like target their arms and strip their armor and then knock out one of their weapons, you know, or you know, take out their take out their reactor with a certain like core to like hit him, hit him the back of the mech and where the armor's weakest and and taking out their core that way, you know, all those little uh, all those sort of things have a really good vibe to them. So it was like, how do we get that feeling um, without the crunchy elements and uh, the abilities in Quest? really worked for that because they let you just be like oh well I just do the thing I press I press my I use my pinpoint target or I use that ability and I just blow your arm off or I use this ability to jump behind your mech and um, strip you know um, strip the armor off its back or um, or I have armor plating which can protect me but it blows off and it it scatters and uh, is destroyed but it, it prevents a hit so you get that sort of feeling of, of that sort of more and also also the mech yeah. building that that was yeah, kind of yeah. like the key thing for me was like having the mech building in it because like for me a, a mech game like spending a lot of time playing like mech warrior 3 um just in the character creation screen like you know it's it's like you know yeah character creator the rpg right like you know it's um you just spend hours and hours like detailing out your mech and you're like okay well if i take like 20 lasers and five heat sinks then can i shoot them all without blowing up immediately and that's kind of what it allowed us to do with salvage is like you know you've got all of these hundreds of systems and modules but it's kind of simple because all of that is like downtime right it's not mid-game like when you're actually playing you only have a limited number but um you can spend your time between games just like pouring over the book and doing that and that sort of takes me back to like the 40k thing as well right like it's like army building like when you're a kid like when i was 12 and i just carried around the codex with me everywhere i went like every family trip or whatever it's like you just sat in the back of the car writing lists you're never playing them you're just writing the lists right mm. like but that's half the fun you know is is in just doing that so yeah yeah, yeah. no absolutely i've got fun memories i remember like yeah, sitting on a bench like with my my mom there when i was like nine just like writing a list out before i went to like you took me to the games <laughs> workshop because like no mom i've got to write the list mm. uh, they won't let me play i mean <laughs> they were they, it was true i went in there and they were like do you have a list i was like yeah i've got a list plastic crack army yeah yeah, yeah no like, get them while they're young uh, games workshop nailed that one <laughs> Um, definitely an addictive one that mm. I, can't, um, I can't remember what interview it was on but I remember one of you said Mech Commander uh, yeah so Mech Commander is the um, yeah I, play, I remember playing that when I was about um, yeah 12 or so it's a um, it's like a uh, it's almost like an isometric uh, sort of um, team based uh, strategy version of I think Mech Warrior um, and yeah it's one of the many influences like, I think there's like yeah I mean Mech Warrior uh, Battletech, um, like both for video games and the tabletop. And um, I played a lot of Mech Warrior 4 as well, uh, Mech Warrior 4 Vengeance and Mech Warrior 4 Mercenaries. 
Um, you were more, I think, Mech Warrior 3. Just literally Mech Warrior 3 and Steel Battalion. And the only reason I played Steel Battalion was because of that controller. And uh, honestly, it's a terrible fucking game. It's so hard to play. Um, but that controller was mm. like ace. like you know. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, my, I mean, my first Mech game was actually... Um, I was like eight, and it was Mech Warrior 2 on the Sega Saturn, which my dad got me. Oh, wow. And yeah, imagine controlling Mech Warrior with a D-pad. <laughs> Like the Sega Saturn controllers, a D-pad, like A, B, C, and L and R. Like it was, I had no no idea what I was doing. All I remember from that game was it had a really good opening cinematic. Mm. And you had the Steel Battalion controller. I've just looked that up. Yeah, no, it was wild. I didn't actually have it. My friend Adam had it, and we used to go around to his house just to play it. But like, um, his parents used to go away a lot, so he used to have like these um, uh, parties when we were like 15, 16. And his parents would go away and just leave him in the house by himself. Um, which is kind of bad now thinking about it but like we used to love it at the time because we'd go around there and like because I grew up in North Wales in the country so like when we used to drink we used to go camping so it was when someone had an open house like you've got the empty right like you know you go around there and um, yeah so he just like we'd just go there and we'd just sit in front of the massive TV with the thing and you know the controller and just take turns right yeah playing um, but yeah no it's really hard to play actually because it's um, it's like the uh, you know like recent VR titles uh, like mech VR titles yeah. and it's like you have to like control it's it's kind of like a flight sim in that you have to be like really um, coordinated in what you're doing at all times it's not like it's not as easy as mech warrior to play and then that's that's what makes it kind of really difficult um to kind of like get and it's it's not and i never really liked that i like the um aesthetic like you know the, the the gameplay experience because you're playing with this controller and it feels amazing but it's also really really hard and then this was kind of the thing with like um uh, so lancer for example i love lancer like you know the the book and the illustration and everything is amazing but actually trying to bring it to the table is impossible like you know the, there's so much to keep in mind all the time that it's um it's really difficult for me to like process um, which is kind of where salvage came from as well it's like you know um uh it's this thing of okay cool so we have this vibe going on but like can we make it actually easy for people to do the things that they want to do and that that's kind that of was, very important yeah, it's fair it's fair yeah. that was something that really surprised us all i think about salvage union because i've looked into lancer before i'm a huge transformers fan so the idea of a robot mecha ttrpg is great but as you said it's complicated as hell and a lot of ttrpgs especially when they're trying to be very different things from D and uh pathfinder that kind of thing they overcomplicate things a lot and they're really hard to get into. Salvage Union was super easy. It was really simple and really intuitive. Oh, thank you for saying so. Yeah, that, that's, we succeeded. <laughs> design goal succeeded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a huge part of our design and we, um, mm. you know, and we just, sh you know, we shaved off so many mechanics as well. Oh God, yeah, shooting, yeah. shooting all those darlings. All those darlings, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, we yeah. had a stress mechanic for pilots at one point, for example, um, yeah. which wasn't like in of itself complicated, but it just adds that other layer. And and you find this sort of quantitative thing when you're when you're designing where like if you just even if individually a thing simply when you just keep adding stuff it eventually it just yeah. it just like dies by the weight of the oh, thing. And the, the amount of edge cases we had to cut in terms of keywords because obviously a, a lot of salvage union is based around keywords particularly for like systems and modules so it's like a keyword does like a thing right so. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the amount of keywords we cut just because we were like, do we really need to make a ruling for this? Like, do we need to make it? Sorry, not a ruling, a rule. A rule, right? yeah. Do we do we need a rule for this thing that might happen 
once in a hundred games or a thousand games and you know we, we get asked about it a lot um, uh, by you know um, uh, by, by fans and customers um, but it's it's kind of it's important I think not to have those things because if you have those things then all of a sudden now that's more load particularly on the GM right like to, to know that and to bear it in mind if you don't have it you can work it out easy enough like you know it's um, so yeah it's like trimming it down to really just what needs to be there and mm -hmm. um, I think yeah. that's an important part of our just sort of like general design philosophy right? no yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah I think um, and with salvage really it's like the core mechanic which is that D20 You've got your abilities, which are both your pilot abilities, but also your mech secretly have like ability, like each thing you add to your mech is sort of an ability. And then there's yeah, the keywords, um, which and traits, which are like, you know, um, your your gun might have a pinning trait, which means uh, it will might jam if it. Uh, no wait, yeah, it might have a jamming trait, which means it might jam, or it has the pinning trait, which lets you like pin infantry or whatnot. Um, but it's kept very simple. It's kept as simple as possible. And um, yeah, no, but it is good to hear that it that, that does shine through because it was a, it was a real core of our design goal because you know we wanted it we wanted to establish you you know for game for the the game for the tired dad really was to yes. like for... yeah, that's <laughs> like, me then yeah the the actual um, the actual like the the name and the concept actually came from um, a playlist that a friend of mine um, uh, Mal Illich um, so he actually wrote a game called Bane. Uh, which was bioarmored neuroexoskeleton, right? But it was like it was more of a Gundam-y thing, like you know, in terms of it. But he had like in the background this concept of like salvage union, and um, so um, yeah, like that's that's where like the initial concept of oh, you know, actually taking that running with it, because um, that was like a pretty simple game. It's not something he ever developed into a thing, so we licensed it from him, and um, uh, yeah, like that sort of just salvage union concept, right? Yeah, um, and um, uh, yeah, that was like that was a really fun playtest. It was actually one of the yeah one yeah, of the yeah. inspirations, I guess, uh, for for running with it. But yeah, mm. Mm. yeah, yeah, and obviously Speaking that um, of... yeah, that became really important. I'm oh, yeah. sorry, yeah, go on. Speaking of inspiration, you've already mentioned you know the video games, the ye olden times. So I'm sure mm. that knows a lot better than I do. Uh, were you and did you end up taking inspiration from any like? more well-known mecha stuff like you mentioned gundam transformers uh neo evangelum yeah neo genesis definitely for me like hmm. um, oh man i loved that show when i was like yeah 17 um that that was that was definitely a big one um mad max as well i think just in terms of setting definitely yeah yeah huge. no, no um, max but yeah definitely mad max um yeah i mean some of the influences came sort of from outside the mecha genre like there was um also 2000 ad and the wasteland we, thing yeah, so actually I, I had a, an art book of um uh, the judge dread movie the sylvester stallone one and um uh, a lot of the art book was like uh, or a section of it at least was dedicated to the bit in the wasteland you know where they go out and that that was uh, that was a big influence for me at least um, in terms of aesthetic visual aesthetic yeah no absolutely yeah, yeah. um yeah no and i think for me um so uh, so one of the modules uh, false flag is set in a um sort of cold war-esque scenario where a um alien anomaly uh, called the meld has um impacted this area and made everything very um weird and left behind a lot of artifacts and powerful resources and things like that and i took a lot of inspiration as a result from a roadside picnic which is um a uh, Russian novel uh, which uh, people may be more familiar with because it inspired the Stalker series. People might be more familiar with that if you know the Stalker video games um, or the Stalker film as well. Um, 
God, okay, points if you can name the author because I've I've, I've read that because you lent it to me and I still can't remember the author's name. Yeah, my brain, my brain's actually farted there. So, so, how want to say so, <laughs> Vasily something, but yeah, I'm yeah. probably completely wrong. <laughs> That's and and I, I apologise. <laughs> yeah, um, Kalinsky, I want to say um, it's Kalinsky, but um, I might be wrong. But yeah, that was a lot of inspiration. Um, yeah, Amtrak Wars as well, which is an old '80s oh, novel. Wars is, yeah, great. Yeah, movie. about um, just this wasteland kind of setting um, where it's more, it's more about um, they're more like aer- they're like aeroplane pilots, like. Future, like um, apocalyptic. Um, I think uh, one, like one, one other thing, actually, fighter jet pilots. But yeah, um, another thing, actually, um, big inspiration, particularly on the visual aesthetic, was um, one of the artists himself, actually, um, Hamish Freiter. Um, so um, uh, when it was initially being concepted, I think even before your involvement, mm. I'd um, I'd commissioned some art from Hamish because I'd seen his um, art, like just stuff that he'd already done. And so some of the pieces were actually um, uh, licensed rather than commissioned um, because he'd done this really, really cool art. So like part of that setting is actually just like the art that he'd done. And um, it just looked like perfect for what we were trying to achieve. Mm. Um, so um, yeah, we, we were just like, ah, yeah, no, we, we need this guy on board. And um, uh, fortunately he was, he was down for it. So um, uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, yeah, credit credit where it's due. I yeah, think no, she was a big influence on what that setting turned out to be. Yeah, yeah no, the Hamish art was huge. And yeah. no, I remember when I was seeing it, I was like, yeah, it would be awesome if we could do effectively do for that art what um, uh, Tales from a Loop did for like Simon's Stan- 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, incredible. Yeah. It's art. actually very very similar, and it is very well. similar vibes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was like, yeah. what if we could turn that art into a, a game as well? Like, yeah. I think that would be awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, to a degree, we tried to. We did our best. Um, Live up to the expectations. Yeah, um, but yeah, there was a quite. I think quite a lot of broad set of influences. Um, Yeah, that sort of ran through it. So it's funny how you should uh, mention the tales from the loop and things like that. I was just about to ask you if that was something that came into your mind when creating Union, especially some of the artwork looks. Not the same, but similar vibes. Yeah, yeah, no, vibe-wise, like, um, Stalin Hug, because um, uh, Panny and I met while we worked at uh, Modifius. Um, so, um, oh. at the time, obviously, they were um, uh, distributing um, uh, Tales from Loop. And, um, uh, yeah, and then, obviously, there's the Amazon series, which was kind of coincided with the uh, development. So, um, yeah, particularly, I think, um, uh, the the real thing that Stalin Hug does so well, I think, is like placing these um, uh, these mechs and machines into like a normalized context, and then that was something that was quite important in terms of um, the sort of visual design for the mechs, and um, also like you know in terms of the game itself, is that they're not combat mechs. That it's not like you know oh, okay this is BattleTech and everything is like fighting all the time, or like you know 40k with Titans and they're they're war machines. These aren't war machines in Salvage Union. They're, they're, they're just like, you know, the, you know, biped JCBs, right? Like, you know, it's, um, uh, they're, they're industrial equipment, effectively, um, that's been repurposed. And, um, uh, yeah, certainly, like, um, uh, aesthetically and stylistically, um, that, that was, like, yeah, a huge influence, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, and in, in, and in similar respects, I think, like, I mean, Tales from Reloop, obviously, you play as uh, children, sort of, like, investigating. It's, like, 80s kids on bike stuff. And uh, in the same way, we wanted to go for a sort of... Um, but you do blow things up in Salvage Union. Um, 
you also are, yeah, your salvagers. You're actually going around, like, um, you know, exploring, scattering the wastes, and uh, you're salvaging sort of scrap and the sort of the stuff the corpos have left behind, and using that to sort of support your community. Um, so there's a there's a bit more of a sort of heart to it, um, rather than um, a lot of mech games where you are just sort of more of a you're a cold-hearted mercenary who's you know just going out to gun stuff and and return back. And uh, I think that does come through in the gameplay as well. Like, um, there's a lot of rules about salvaging, which we um, uh, we worked a lot on to make them sort of clean and simple, but also quite fun and engaging. And that forms quite a core cool part of the game. Um, and um, yeah, uh, yeah. So I think it. But yeah, I think that. Yeah, was, yeah we, we, we did um, a very deliberate decision as well in terms of um, the systems and modules um, that we put a cap on um, the combat systems and modules that we put in at 30%. And um, so whenever we had an idea for a thing, we were like, okay, is that a combat thing or not? And if it was a combat thing, it's like, right, okay, well, is it, oh, are we at 30%? Because if, if we are, then uh, no, it has to get scrubbed. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, we didn't want it to be like just a combat game, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Because very, combat stuff's really easy to do because you're just like, right, okay, cool, let's make a number between this and this and give it a... Uh, give it a trait that allows it to do damage right but coming up with something else is actually it's really hard like you know <laughs> what's what's a cool thing that's not a combat thing right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah that works gonna ask what is it you're cooking right now oh <laughs> so i'm having a pizza um <laughs> <laughs> i've got nuggies as you do um, nuggies <laughs> So is it is that all right that we're just sorry? Saying, we're, we're, we're halfway through a night it's out, no so issue. we're just kind of like yeah, chewing you know. in post. Um, I could just see you cooking. I was like, I've, I've got to ask, what is it? <laughs> sorry, mm. there's no problem. It's all right. Um, so when you were coming up with the the bad guy, as it were, the corporation, um, the nanite globulate thing that we fought in our little game what what was the inspiration for those kind of scenarios situations and well, creatures really um well i think um i mean the core thing is um that you're you're salvagers and you're living in a uh, corporate dystopia where you've uh, found a way to sort of live outside of that by living communally so like you're communists and the enemy is capitalism like so that was quite easy because there's a lot of real life examples of that uh, like corporations bad it was not too uh, too difficult that wasn't too easy though because uh, it was easy for me it's not easy for people no no no, no. It's, yeah. this is the thing right so it's it's easy to come up with that in terms of like the concept but try writing communism into the rules for your game right <laughs> it's impossible players are so it's not just players, it's like everyone. We, we all are, and you don't even realise it, right? But as soon as you start saying, like, because one of the early rules was we, like, mandated that the scrap pool... So all the scrap that you get is communal, and everybody has to just share. It's the first thing the people house rule is, like, no, the scrap you get is yours, and you can do with it what you want. Because people can't comprehend the idea of, like, no, this is just for everybody. Yeah, like you know, communal ownership is like yeah, no, communal ownership just, breaks like, no, everyone's this is, this brains. Is, this is this is my mech and this is my scrap and I can do with it what I want. Like it's it's like you know D and D and gold, right? Like the gold belongs to the player, not the group. 
and it's it's oh. so inherent in everybody's attitude that actually trying to write that into a game is really hard. Yeah, it's hard because you, you just bounce off players who constantly yeah treat it like it's uh, far more individualistic um, than it is. Um, mm. Even in playtesting, like yeah, there was constant like um, sort of even little things like players wanting to like buy um, buy NPCs drinks and me having to explain that like your your honor union crawler everyone like you don't buy a drink you just get given one because everyone's sharing like there's no currency yeah. like it's a it's yeah. a it's a it's a commune effectively you know um like that was a really hard thing um and, and to a degree that well that is a lot of people being capitalist build and to a degree there's people being D build as well which in of itself has a very sort of individualistic um sort of mercantile um sort of a core to its um yeah. its rule set um which reflects for you know the Created in, in America, in the uh, in the in the heart of capitalism, as it were. Um, so yeah, I think that. Um, so yeah, the enemies came out of that, and uh, the corpos at least, as the sort of um, antagonist, um, came out of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was quite tricky to. I mean, it was tricky also just from a perspective of like the corpos had to be, in a way, simultaneously this quite all powerful entity. But also, like, not so powerful, but they just like completely destroyed you as soon as you appeared. So there was a little yeah. bit of um, a bit of balance there, yeah. A bit of balance there, and a bit of um, intrigue and stuff. I think again, false flag as a module, I think, which is one we wrote, um, yeah. sort of um, shows that I think uh, the best. In that there's a lot of um, sort of it's like a cold war, so that like you're not necessarily, you know, just shooting immediately shooting nukes at each other, and everyone's not blowing each other off immediately because they don't want to escalate. So there's a bit more like intrigue, subterfuge, and you have to sort of pick which side you want to work with. There's a there's a worker faction which you can like um, as players sort of help and support as well in that. Um, but they're like really under resourced and sandwiched between two very powerful corpos. Yeah. So um, there's then, difficult decisions in that module. The, the 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 other two big ones is obviously the meld and the bio titans mm-hmm. as well. And the meld actually came from that initial playtest that I was saying that Mal uh, Illidran. Mm-hmm. So like um, he'd actually named them the meld and it was an anarch threat and you know obviously that that stems back to like you know a, a lot of other stuff um you know, from sci-fi broadly like you know gray goo um kind of thing um and then the bio titans was just like that was straight up like neon genesis uh pacific rim like you know godzilla it's just like you're in a big mech you want a giant monster to fight like you know yeah let's let's yeah but yeah, I do. I do feel the Bio Titans were just we wanted monsters to fight that look cool. Um, yeah. that, you know, there's an element of like they're the, they're the sort of um, they're created by the corpos as, as war machines, and mm. and they don't care. It's sort of the environmental damage that the corpos have done. But really, it's just we wanted giant monsters to fight. I do feel mm-hmm. the meld um, are a bit more like linked a bit tighter to the themes as they're like they the, are, yeah. well they're sort of like the ball they're like the extreme mm. of like yeah. um, <laughs> communal societies like the hive mind kind of thing mm. they're the um, the starship trooper kind of yeah well, um, hang on. Are thing are they the bad communists kind they're of the bad communists they're yeah. tankies yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're tankies <laughs> they're literally the lefty they're themselves they're literally the lefty themselves yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they, they, they sort of do fit they fit quite well thematically I think in yeah. a weird way um, yeah and uh, beyond that it was just it, it's wasteland shit it's <laughs> raiders and mutants and um, yeah and wasteland fallout Mad Max you know? yeah yeah but we did try to make it a bit more um like most wastelanders are really just trying to survive and yeah, there are some awesome. raiders but they're like more opportunist like we didn't 
we didn't want to go quite hard into like yeah like BDSM sadist rings yeah. that you know <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. like um, skinning people and setting things on fire yeah there's yeah. a, a little bit of that so I think we it's were here first that, yeah. sort of has a little bit of that yeah because um, it's fun um, but um, we did want to paint more of a we try. We attempted a bit of nuance, I guess. A, a more sympathetic picture, I think, of people trying to survive, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just it's what your, it's what you, what's your route to survival, like? mm. and and people turn to raiding because it's a, it's, it is a way to get scrap, you know. And uh, maybe it's not good or whatnot, but yeah. But also in RPG terms, I don't. It's really it's really tricky. Like you, you giving players an enemy that they can feel like they're, they're not going to have to have a one hour moral debate over over Whether fighting yeah. um, is. <laughs> Yeah, for better or worse, can be quite important. And like initially, we didn't we skirted around that, but we, we at one point just said, "Fuck it, let's just have some raiders," and, yeah. it, and it did. It smoothed things over a bit. It makes it it makes it easier in play, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? And that, that, that's that's also important because you know it's every, everything we do is like right, okay, now let's play test it though. And if it doesn't work, then you have to again you have to take that darling around the back of the shed and put a bullet in his face. You know, um, you do. Yeah. <laughs> you have to all the other. Yep. Wow. It's it's one yeah. of our company mottos. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. We don't we don't say shoot the darling. We say shoot the puppy. Um, <laughs> because it's um. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a bit more real because like you know, really you have these ideas and you're like, no, I really want that. I think the the first draft of the game that I wrote had um, and it was very important to the game because it it originally been designed to be played online only, and um, it was that you always have to speak in radio parlance. There's a whole <laughs> section of the book dedicated to the radio parlance of the universe. And like, you know, yeah, like 10-4 and all of that stuff. And you had to speak like that at all times. It was like, you know, it was practically a LARP. And um, Matt, could you yeah, imagine Cartman that because... doing that? Sorry? Sorry, Cartman, yeah. one of our players in radio speak. Oh, make all the pain. Yeah. <laughs> that would be painful. Yeah. Although now we're going to have to try that. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Like the, the first time we played it, I think um, uh, the first time we played this, did it, it had that rule, and we were we were doing it, and it was a lot of fun. But it doesn't work for like a game on general release, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Well, um, people just ignore it. People like, just ignore it, and you're like, okay, well, why did we even put yeah, that why, in? Why like, put it there? Yeah. yeah. Um, I can send you the um, the Google Doc with the uh, the radio parlance stuff if you do want to <laughs> yeah. run it. Maybe we'll do it as a zine or something. Mm. Yeah. Oh hell yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> So aside from the pilot talk, were there any other things that you, like unique things you were going to fit in it that you decided, ah, it just didn't work? Mm. So one of the really early ones actually was um, um, we had advantage in the game originally. So we had like an advantage-disadvantage system. That got cut almost immediately again because um, it's too easy to sort of like cheat with your design it's like basically every system and module we came up with was like oh, okay it gives you advantage to this or disadvantage to that and um so like that was deliberately kind of hobbling ourselves in a way because like it makes you be more creative um because um that was like yeah yeah that, yeah. that was like an early one wasn't it that got cut? it was um, yeah we cut that because it um yeah whenever when we were designing stuff it was like oh it's a targeter i guess it gives you advantage oh it's an ability that makes you better at combat i guess it gives you advantage oh it's a uh, salvaging tool i guess it gives you advantage at salvage. it's just boring like yeah, yeah. um mm. and it forced us to make you know to make things different and to make things to make abilities do because the idea of the abilities in particular was like each one should just do like a really cool thing mm. um, yeah a really cool and powerful thing and it should feel like cheating a bit almost like you know it, be, it should you know the player 
we kind of wanted players to be like, wait, you can just do that. And like, do I get a saving throw? It's like, no, just your arms, your arms blown up, like deal with it. Um, We we wanted to just, yeah, it was like, it's cool. You do the thing and it's powerful, but it costs, you know, you've got quite limited resources. Um, Oh, another one. No, the other one that we cut, which was um, an early one was uh, variable damage. So, um, so there's an idea that I came up with um, uh, while working at Modifius, actually, or like you know, it's kind of a blog post that has been bouncing around my head, but never really sort of like materialized. Is this concept of like um, emulative mechanics? So it's like um, most mechanics in games. So um, uh, okay, so big games design theory-wise, like uh, MDA Mechanics Dynamics Aesthetics by Robin Hunicky is like a great piece on like game design, and it's about taking the gameplay experience or the aesthetics and then working backwards. So working through dynamics, which is how players interact with the rules, to the mechanics themselves. So you start with the experience and you work backwards rather than saying, okay, cool, so I'm gonna make a fancy game. Let's start with attributes and then a skill set and then blah, blah, blah. And then eventually you arrive at the experience that you're gonna, players are gonna have out of it, right? You, You work backwards. Now, the the point of emulative mechanics was this idea that like, um, uh, yeah, rather than trying to simulate a thing, well, this is going back to like GNS theory now, like Forge stuff, but um, rather than trying to simulate something, you try to emulate it. You give people, again, the feeling of it. Now, originally with the damage, we had this idea that like, um, so all damage is rolled on dice, but then you roll dice equivalent to kind of what it is. So like a needle missile pod, for example, would roll like, you know, 20 D4. Um, and that's the amount of damage you get out of it. But like a big, like plasma cannon just rolls a D100. And it's like, you know, yeah, so you get a big number, but single shot, right? And um, yeah, we axed that one again pretty quick because it was like, right, okay, who actually has 40 D4? Yep. Um, so Ooh, how yeah. is that actually happening? <laughs> it didn't work with, I mean, Quest and uses it didn't work flat with damage. Quest as well. Quest uses um, flat damage. And, and, stuff, da- yeah. and like damage rolling. And again, with the simplicity. That, that one hurt to shoot though, because like, I really yeah. like that idea of just like picking up a load of dice and rolling them, but yeah. No, it is cool, but I think um, with the simplicity as well, again, it's that like, and even damage, like rolling damage is another sort of step in that equation. Mm. Um, yeah. But I'd argue one of the, the biggest uh, things we left on the cutting room floor, at least we changed and developed, was the salvaging of itself. Mm. Um, yeah, of course. Because, yeah. like, initially, um, you can, you can, if you track down the initial um, quick start weave, um, which technically isn't online, but you can probably find it, um, for 1.0 quick start, um, it had um, the salvaging system worked um, effectively by finding different parts. So, you know, you'd have, um, if you found a wiring loom and an optical glass and a piece of scrap metal, you could build a laser if you found uh, two pieces of scrap metal and uh, a gun cartridge or whatever you could build a machine gun it was kind of like a minecraft-esque yeah. thing where you take um, an array of parts and you slap them together and it makes something that makes sense out of those parts yeah and it completely does not work in a tabletop playing game yeah, no, <laughs> yeah it just we, <laughs> we, we realized that the character sheet would need to have this like enormous like excel spreadsheet effectively of like all the hundreds of different components and yeah. how many of each of them you have like so your inventory log has to be this enormous like sheet yeah. right and it just led to like player paralysis like what do i do with this wiring loom do i like do i sell it do i keep it i might need it later yeah. am i going to get another one like you know yeah yeah no it just didn't work like yeah you had yeah. to that's sort of a thing i mean we generally did play test it as well and we found mm-hmm. that players um unless you had like system mastery you didn't know what the value of the thing you just found was. 
like because you didn't know that well a wiring loom could now be used to build a green laser but if you saved it later on you could build a rail gun with it and those are the decisions we wanted players to make but we realized they would have had to like you know have internalized the entire rule book before they could even make that decision which yeah. is the complete opposite to the sort of simple game where we wanted players to immediately and sort of so quite hey, viscerally yeah, no, and simply gonna... understand yeah no i'm just yeah. gonna i want to shoot the thing do like, i shoot the thing yeah, yeah okay you shoot the thing okay cool do i get yeah. anything yeah you get this yeah you know yeah, yeah. um and uh, uh, that sort of speed of play right yeah yeah yeah, so we, we changed it to a uh, far more generic system, but a system I think works significantly better in regards to a tabletop role-playing game where, where effectively scrap um, is just, can just basically, you just find scrap um, and you can then use that scrap to uh, build, like, you know, if you have free scrap, you can build a green laser. If you have four scrap, you can build a blue laser, but then there's, a, there's tech levels and it's like, so, you know, you need free tech two to build a green laser but four tech three to build a blue laser yeah um i mean even, but it's even, all just scrap even even then we modified that system like twice right like oh, multiple, we, yeah. yeah multiple yeah. times like we had to modify that system because we play tested it and it still didn't quite work because we had like an inefficiency built in initially where like you know if you scrap something you only get half back and then you know it was like half this double that to like half to scrap double to build like you know and all of these kind of things eventually we just went one-to-one -one on it and it's just like yeah no you can scrap everything it actually works out really well because it means that um so if you get back to your crawler at the end of a session you can just scrap your entire mech and build a whole new one at no disadvantage and um that was actually really key because um, one of the things we found in playtesting as well is that people hate changing their mech they, they always they build one mech and they're like no i love this mech there are many like mechs like it but this one is mine like it's that right and um uh, so they, they would just refuse to do it and they would just stay with Tech One Mech like the whole time because they're like, oh no, I just want this. So, um, like the most recent playtest you're running now, right? The mm -hmm. Open World one. Um, uh, that we, we have a system where it's like, oh yeah, so it's like a sort of West Marches kind of style thing. But um, whenever you get back to the crawler, your mech is immediately liquidated. And then the scrap that comes from everyone's mechs being liquidated is available to the next group to build their mechs with. Yeah. And it works really well because now, like, you know, it does, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the and the next group had like because it's like open campaigns of the next group are yeah. um, are um, a, a potentially a completely new group of players. And I mean, and to plug it, it will probably still be running whilst you hear it. So if you want to join the Savage Union open campaign, seven seven p.m. GMT on Mondays, um, join the Savage Union Discord to find out more. Um, yeah, so that that was sort of the idea with that is that. It, um, yeah, it forces players to rebuild their mechs, and I think that's another thing we found. But that's because another that was another iteration, really, because mm. initially yeah. uh, we didn't have that um, that system of um, the way you progress in the game is you you get entirely new mechs, um, and you mm. sort of um, you slowly got up a tech tree, but you pick like quite unique, different chassis every time. Um, initially, it was a lot more of a simple system where you just sort of you pick your light he it was like light, medium, or heavy frame, mm. and then that right, upgrades yeah. Yeah, yeah. as you play, but but because we wanted we missed 30 mechs in the core book and because we wanted them to actually feel like genuine choices rather than just sort of different skins we we completely like converted the system we did a lot of playtesting we did a lot of playtesting like an obscene <laughs> amount really considering this is why it was yeah. kind of so late coming <laughs> yeah. out in a way right like, <laughs> it's why it like no it needs to be it can be better it can be better than this yeah let's, let's do some like, more playtesting we unironically we genuinely did the meme of, of the kickstarter it's like no genuinely but we did it we did actually playtest it and we were actually improving it it wasn't just we weren't just saying it because we were delayed it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, so that's a, a few about having thirty odd mechs in the rulebook. Already, the Spera Electronics 
the Yakuza, adding more to it already. How do you guys feel about that kind of thing? That people are already inspired to build more from this world. Oh man, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like, awesome. you know, um, I, I think that's just like the dream for any like games designer really is that people find your work so inspiring they want to build on it, right? Um, I mean, we, we, we actually deliberately added some stuff to each of the modules as well um, to sort of like expand it out to separate out some of the more complicated rules like the Namak rules are in Foslag, the, um, you know, the bio, uh, the biotech rules are in uh, We Were Here First, um, you know, the sort of diesel punk stuff is in Rainmaker. Um, so we'd kind of already done a bit of that. Um, but yeah, no, other people wanting to like add stuff to the game, that's like, that's awesome, man. Like, you know, um, yeah, it's yeah. like it's really cool. It's what it's what the game's kind of built around in a way as well. Like you know, um, even I think when we were in layout, we were still adding systems because we, uh, we found we had like some gaps in the layout, and we we're like, all oh, right, okay. And people were suggesting stuff on the Discord. Like I think I remember somebody said, oh, there should be like a sand blaster system, and um, you know, you could use that as like you know, kind of the mech equivalent of like pocket sand, right? Um, so you've <laughs> kind of like got you've got that, but also like it can be used for like varying purposes. Um, and we're like, that's a really cool idea. Let's like, yeah, we let's add it. We're, let's chuck it in the book. You know, we, we've got some time. Let's let's yeah. pop it in the book. And um, <clears throat> there was a huge number of it. Like, there's loads of stuff we still left on the cutting room floor. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah. we'd also hope, yeah, like um, third parties um, would, uh, yeah, like um, either publish like Spire Electronics um, mm. in a more sort of a, like you know proper published form, or even just you know do homebrew stuff at home and stuff. Because the game is designed yeah. for that. I think a, a real core tenant was that like whilst it is a you know intended to be quite a simple and intuitive game at core, it still has a lot of customization it's the depth, options. Right? It's yeah, complexity yeah. versus depth. It yeah. is, yeah, yeah. And I think that was really important. And um, and you know I, th- I feel like yeah, every one of them is like a genuine decision still. Like even though um, you know the mechanics are quite light and quite loose in places, it's still you know, feels like you know. Do I want to put a, a you know a vertical frost unit on my mech, or do I want to give it a hover loco instead, or do I want to give yeah, it this the, target? The, every, everything uh, comes with a compromise, every, right? Yeah, everything's yeah, yeah, a compromise, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, and you have to then work together as well because we purposely made it so each mech is just a, a little uncomfortably squeezed, so you can't you can't put everything you want on it. Like you can't have a mech that's like got all the defensive options, all the offensive options, plus salvaging options, plus hacking mm-hmm. options, plus communication options. You know. Yeah, you just can't. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Um, and, um, One or the other, really. Yeah, I mean, we actually worked it out. So um, even just the core book by itself, I think it's like 150 different mech. Uh, sorry, 150 million different oh, things yeah. potentially. Um, yeah. Because it's actually crazy. Once you take all the different vari- variables and multiply them, it's, it's about 150 million different. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, when you do that math, it does become just. Yeah. It becomes ridiculous. It's obscene, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. timesing like every potential. Yeah, every every single option. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, at least for yeah. Um, so from what I get from that, Jay, we have permission to make the Raiders BDSM group. <laughs> no, there's no, um, there's nothing in our SRD, which is you can. We have a fully open SRD. There's nothing against BDSM in there. We're we're very kink positive as a company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why make it Raiders when you can go players? <laughs> exactly. Why I mean, Why not? There's literally a make system the in the core rulebook called the Max um, BDSM group. We joke, but we probably will end up doing something. Like that. <laughs> Do you think either of us has the time? actually? Yeah, after the yeah. after the current project, maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. We we there's literally a module in the core book called the personal recreation device. Um, uh, so, uh-huh. Yeah, like a television. Uh, or like, yeah, television massage. Game console, or... Or, yeah. I, um, yeah. A, um, <laughs> Attachy muscle. Stress, stress, <laughs> One of these stress massager, perhaps. Yeah. 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 Have you seen the VR ones, Matt? 
they exist now, and I... Are we, are we talking fear. about the same thing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> the are thing that goes... <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, okay. Wow. Um... So, Sorry. just because I know I'm Back allowed on. to say it, um, one of my <laughs> favourite words, I think, of the last 20 years, although I think it was like word of the year in the 90s at some point, but it's teledildonics, and I think that's just the best <laughs> word. Um, Fuck. Yeah. And, um, I really think it's not even hit its sort of like peak yet, but I think teledildonics is going to be very important in the future. 2025, a year of teledildonics. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, we'll get that. Um, can you tell us what that means? Uh, oh, so, sorry, yeah, teledildonics is um, uh, basically the concept of um, uh, internet-connected sex toys, um, where oh. one activates the other. So, like, telecommunication, um, but in terms of stimulating another person sexually. So it's like that scene in um, oh, that film with um, Carver. Oh, like Demolition Man. Yeah, Demolition Man. Yeah, or yeah. actually more recently, perhaps Upload, where yeah, she's in yeah. like the suit and, you know, it's the, the whole thing. But teledildonics is a word. I think it's one of my favourite words ever because it's like, it feels Fair like enough. a made-up word, but it's actually a real word. It's in the dictionary. Check it out. Um, I love wow. it. Yeah. There you go. So, back on the game. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yes. Back, back to the subject, <laughs> Hey, we started the tangent, it's fine. <laughs> you guys have playtested an absolute ton for this game, and the progress shows. What do you look for when you are playtesting? Ooh, so, um, so I did a lot of playtests on, um, on our Discord, uh, mostly with um, uh, people from the uh, Kickstarter initially. I mean, initially, initially, we did some friends, like, before we launched the Kickstarter, and then we had some fans, and we invited them in to, like, playtest the game. Um... And you're sort of looking for, again, it, it it's it's like vibe, like like um, Ala was talking about, um, sort of uh, MDA, like um, mechanics and aesthetics and all that good jazz. Like it's yeah, how does this feel? And does this feel? Does it give the right experience? Yeah, does this does does this give the right experience as to what we intend? And um, and if it doesn't, it gets cut. And that's often not necessarily based on feedback, like. Feedback, you always have to take a pinch of salt. Like there's a there's yeah. a there's a maxim that like players are often right about feedback, but for the wrong reasons. Like yeah, or they yeah. can't write quite identify it. Yeah, but if they if they raise it, it's because there's a problem. Yeah. But their solution to that problem that they will inevitably recommend might not always be the right solution to it. Because a lot of times players will raise an objection because something isn't working as they expected it to, and then they will suggest add more rules to fix that. And um, sometimes, actually, the solution is to remove rules. Yeah. Um, you know, but so you always have to take it with a pinch of salt. Um, but um, I think, yeah, the most important thing about feedback is um, trying to hear what people are saying is their objection. It's, it's understanding the objection as opposed to understanding the suggestion. Yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think also just like observing what um, choices players like. Um, mm. So the mecha pulse was a good yeah. example for that. I oh think. God, yeah, that was, yeah. that was a huge one actually. Yeah. yeah so the mecha pulse is a. Uh, tech one system in the game that um the initial concept of it is that it's a, it's basically a giant catapult that throws scrap at um an enemy or a location or you know, whatever you want to do with it it's a big catapult it, it fires scrap and um initially it was um pardon me quite dull um it was um did good damage yeah, we, yeah we put, it just we did, put the damage numbers it really just high damage, on it yeah, because yeah. that's the thing the scrap obviously you lose the scrap and scrap is like a valuable resource in the game right? yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so when it launches it destroys the scrap but yeah, initially it did like loads of damage. It did like three times the tech level of a scrap or something. Um, so it was like it was like solid damage numbers because we had worked out like you know what average damage should be at each tech level, and it and it like beat that by by a good margin. But nobody ever picked it. 
Nobody ever ever, yeah. ever picked it. Nobody um, ever picked it because they were like, no, scrap's too valuable a resource. Yeah. And we don't want to waste it. And we kept increasing the damage number until it got to, like, I think it got to like at least four times. Um, so like, no, we, we got it to six times, I think. Oh, yeah. I think we oh, yeah, still like, didn't pick it. Yeah, they didn't pick it. Um, yeah. And so then we just changed it entirely and we did a, <laughs> we did a D20 table um, for it. So with um, so twenty different options. So you, when you now use it, you spend scrap, you roll the dice, you roll a d twenty, and there's twenty different options that range from it exploding and killing all your allies um, to um, you know it shooting like irradiated um, scrap to it, like um, sparking electricity to it shooting fire. Like there's just loads of different options, and uh, suddenly everyone picked it because it was just it was just dumb and fun. And yeah, it was fun. Stu- but then yeah. the funny thing is, is on the new table the damage was dialed like way down. Yeah, it's like it's I mean, now- it was far more negative effects Fr- frankly well. now it's a fucking liability if you take it but people take it all the time <laughs> because it's the experience of having it it's it's not it's not always just about the numbers right it's about the experience yeah. that you're yeah. providing and that that was it's the wild magic sorcerer yes yes it is absolutely it's, no exactly you could fireball yeah. your party <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the, uh, snotling, the, the snotling warp gun, right? Yeah, the 40k. The war, the it's, it's that, right? Like it's um, it's a stupid thing, but people love it because it's just it's unpredictable and it's crazy. And really, actually, the key thing with it is that it drives good narrative um, because when you use it, something interesting happens. Um, you don't just like oh, you use it. Okay, well, I get this number result. It's like something interesting is happening, and that's really what's that's at key, the core yeah. of most like RPGs. Really, people are waiting for something interesting to happen, and the more you can facilitate that, the better, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You want you want interesting things to happen a lot, and, and every ability, and also every like system, and module, etc. Is is designed to, to be something that. has to be interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that um, through playtesting and um, yeah, it's just a process. We did a lot of feedback forms. We you know we listened a lot. Yep. We tweaked a lot. Um, like as we said, we we edited the salvaging system went for a lot of iterations. I think it was just too harsh initially, and we and we um, we upped the numbers because um, it felt like too grueling for players. Like players were coming back with just like no no scrap or, or yeah, negative scrap like so frequently just to try and stay alive. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. arguably worse, just getting quite confused, like because of all the different like multiplications and halvings, where they they weren't able to still make the intuitive sort of decisions. So we we just made it as simple as possible, and that seemed to um, iron it out really. Yeah. Yeah. I will admit, when you said Mythopult, my first thought was the ability to like pick up another mech and just fastball specially. Yeah. Well, I mean, people have used that's that's the other like, people have used it for that as well in play, and it's a very permissive system. So I just sort of say, yeah, yeah roll on the table, and that will happen to that well, mech. You in know, in theory, that's actually kind of core to the design philosophy of the game as well. It's like all the systems and modules have like a written use, but they also have like a little narrative blurb just before the like written explicit use. So you can use it for its explicit use because, like you know, obviously trad gaming sort of model like D and D, you have like these buttons on your character sheet that you can press. If you're not like super comfortable with improving everything, um, but then also there is this thing of like you know like uh, the the hose, right? Mm. So um, uh, we have like just a water hose system basically, um, and it's just yeah you can you just have like a hose, um, and there's a written specific thing of if you hose down a mech then it removes heat in an action, but it's also a hose like you know if you want to make something wet you can. Like, you know, so it's like, how are you using that? It's like that sort of old school D&D thing of like, um, I think the first time I played D&D, I had like summon water as a spell. And the first thing I did was like, all oh, right, okay, we're in a fight. I like have zero good spells because it's like, you know, um, level one. Um, so I was like, oh, can I just conjure water around this guy's head and drown him? And it's like, it's that, that instant thing that everybody always does is like, how can I leverage this to an advantage, right? Yeah. And so 
providing that, I think, is, you know, providing a gateway to that is, like, you know, is good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good design in that regard. There's no rule that says water's wet, so... Wreck. Oh, God, are we going to get into this one? No, 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 no. Uh, what? Uh, I mean, so I, there's, there's, a, there's a physics argument, right, that water isn't necessarily... Like, what is wet? Um, what What is the concept of wetness? And uh, so you say that something is wet, but what that means is that you have, like, um, basically uh, something on the surface that uh, elicits less friction. But, like, is sand wet? Because sand often behaves in a similar way as water does, but we don't consider it to be wet, right? Yeah, yeah. you got a bit deeper with me. I mean, I was more trying to make a point of... Um... Oh, sorry, right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, no, that no we, we weren't really. No, I was more trying to make a point of, like, we were talking earlier about, like, how many... Like, what mechanics do you need to define? Oh um, yeah, no keywords. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, do you yeah. need to define? Oh, it's yeah, like, no, okay, do you sure. need to, you know, do you so need to, do you need to define that water is wet? And, and there are some players yeah, out there yes. who genuinely would be like, well, it doesn't save that the, the hose can put out a fire, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't yeah. have like you know the anti-burn keyword. Yeah, or so yeah, I guess yeah. it can't. Um, yeah. So there is that. But yes, the idea with the game is that yeah, you um, yeah you, you can make shit up. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a hose. Oh, sorry, I, went, I went way too deep you on did, that for yeah. a second. Yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah. All right, so it's a sand off. It was quite interesting to have the random deep moments. Throughout this entire project, what would you say has been your most memorable thing about it? I mean, obviously, it's funded, it's been out for a while now, but what was the most memorable thing about the whole thing? So for me, I would say um, the dev process. So it's when we were first mapping out basically the framework of the game. Uh, so we did it in the flat that we're in now. Um, and we had like, um, so um, uh, I really like wallpaper lining paper, um, if you know what that is. Um, basically you can go to B&Q and you can get this big roll of like, um, it's essentially craft paper, but it's what you put on the wall before you put fancy wallpaper up, right? Um, and it helps to smooth out the wall. But you can get like a whole roll of that stuff for like a couple of quid and it's massive. And so we had like a load of highlighters and this wallpaper lining paper and we just like rolled it across. I have this really narrow but long table um, because of the shape of my flat. Anyway, so um, uh, we rolled this paper all out and then we were just like writing everything on. And we did like so many sheets, like it was about 10 sheets of it. And eventually we'd kind of frameworked out like the whole game for the most part, like all the abilities, just names, not like what they do, but like just the, the vibe of what the thing should be. And then we laid it all out on um, on the bed afterwards and took a photo of it. And it was just like this big photo of like all of these just like keyword soup basically on all of this paper. And that was just like, okay, cool. That's the game. Let's make it, yeah, yeah. you know? And it was that moment of like, Oh hey, we, we we have something here. That that was for me, um, yeah, a really really nice moment. I think. Yeah, no, that was a really nice moment. And, yeah. Um, no, no, I still got it. Uh, I still have the photo. Um, I'm not sure we. No, maybe no, we do. I think I have. We have it in the studio somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on like a top shelf somewhere. Um, but um, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's. Um, I don't know the photos on Twitter somewhere probably. But. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that was a really good moment, and that's yeah. when we. Um, we sort of uh, essentialized a lot of the design. Um, for me, there was that. There was, when it had to, to be honest, if I, when I look back, it's really like, because I did the majority of the writing on the project in the end. I mean, Savaging is like a 90,000 word book or so. And I don't, like, it's, I don't remember writing it. <laughs> like, it, it all just sort of merged together into a fugue into state. A fugue state. <laughs> it was, it was um, bizarre. It's like the biggest thing I've ever um, worked on. Um, but it didn't. 
yeah, um, it, it wasn't quite. Um, yeah, yeah, that just it, there was a there's a lot of dead time in there just because like, we were so busy and frantic and just mm. got to get the thing done. Um, but certainly, I think the play testing for me um, and the um, play test groups, plus like the the games I ran at uh, UK Games Expo, um, for example, uh, uh, games on demand were um, very memorable and was also a good like sort of. Oh, feeling. I've got, can I can I say a second one actually? Because I just remembered another yeah, one, which was um, uh, uh, at Dragon Meet when we just launched the campaign. So we'd done the quick start. So this is before we'd even done that sort of like frameworking stuff, right? Um, so it was even before then we'd done the quick start and we were at Dragon Meet um, uh, 2022. Mm-hmm. And um, well, that wasn't. Uh, you weren't the one because I you had COVID. I had COVID. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, Lloyd um, Lloyd Gian, uh ran a playtest for us. <clears throat> and um, I remember thinking, I think we have something here because Lloyd ran a play test and we were currently running the Kickstarter campaign, so it wasn't even for sale. Um, but we were running the Kickstarter campaign and we had some printed quick starts. And um, uh, yeah, so if you backed it, you got a free one. Um, and anyway, so like he ran this session for four people and all four of them who had played the thing came over and immediately backed the Kickstarter. And not only that, but one guy who was on a table next to Lloyd while he was running this play test was like, you guys sound like you're having so much fun. And he was playing another game, but he was just listening in on the game that Lloyd's running. He came over and backed it because he was like, well, I don't know, they just sounded like they were having so much fun. This sounds amazing, I've got to have it. And it was like, that was just like a, a bit of a moment of like, holy shit, do we have something like big here? Because this is this is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was, that, that was nice. Yeah. I mean, also Lloyd's an insanely good GM. Lloyd's an insanely good yeah, GM like and he, yeah, yeah, like he makes everything that he runs. Amazing, he does. So yeah, 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 he you does. Know, uh, but, credit, but credit where it's due. Yeah, but I think there was something to the game as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a nice moment. You know, it's like yeah, some some guy who's not even ever played it, he just heard other people playing it, like yeah, wanted to yeah. buy it, right? Like that that was nice. No, that was cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So you've talked about the best, but see the worst. What parts of making and testing out the game were just oh, the worst, the most difficult in this? That lift broke. <laughs> when the lift broke, I was about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> that's, that's fulfillment. Um, yeah. yeah, so we were, um, uh, we'd finished it, all the books are in, um, uh, we're doing the packing, we're sending it out to all the backers. Um, we've packed up 750 kilos worth of books. Jesus. So, um, uh, <laughs> Royal Mail, so you, you, you can get like a Royal Mail to come and pick up your packages, right? And they will, like, if there's a lot, they'll drop off these cages. They're called yokes. Um, and um, they will drop them off. And they're basically like, you know, if you've been down Asda, Tesco, whatever, like, you know, the cages that they have for the food, they're, they're that big, they're, they're that size. We had two of those completely full, right, of packages to go out. And we've got our studios in like um, an industrial building. So like they have this like industrial lift in there. And um, uh, so, and that's always been working the whole time. We've, we've been there like a year and it's never broken. And um, uh, so we've got 750 kilos worth of packages on two cages, full. And um, the, the Royal Mail lorry comes to collect the cages. And um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the guy comes and we're like, okay, cool. And we try and call the lift and it doesn't work. And um, then the guy's Ooh. like, so then the guys in the unit next door to us, like they've had problems with the lift because they're like woodworking guys. So they use it more than we do. And um, they were like, oh, okay, let's try and reset it. And the guy's like, uh, one of the guys there was like, oh yeah, no, I've seen the lift engineer do it and he's trying to fix it and it's just not happening. And then the Royal Mail guy goes, right, okay, well, look, I've got to go do another collection. I will come back in 20 minutes. As many parcels as you can get downstairs, I will take them. But like, I only have one spare cage on my lorry, so you can get cage worth, but the rest of it's going to be late. 
And we were panicking because we're already late for filling. And um, uh, we were going to Dragon Meat like the next week. So we were like, right, okay, well, we've got to, we've got to launch it at retail. Like the it's backers the next, have to have it. It's like in three days. Yeah, it's like, no, it's three days. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Saturday. And we were like, no. Thursday. There you yeah. go. And um, we were like, no, the backers have to have it before we go to retail. Like we have to at least have shipped it, right? Mm. So um, uh, yeah, we had 20 minutes and um, yeah, it was like a reality fitness TV show thing. We were like, right, okay, we've got to get all this stuff like downstairs. There's three flights of stairs, right? Down, downstairs to get. So um, we were just like bagging them up and we were just carrying these sacks of parcels like downstairs, running up and down the stairs. We carried one of the cages down the stairs. And um, yeah, we, we did it all in like 25 minutes. Um, we, we shipped all the parcels downstairs and we got it all in the cage and we did it. But yeah, fuck me, that was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crawled in a corner and had a little cry. Yeah, no, genuinely. Yeah. I ruined Sandra a really good man. jumper as well doing that one. Like, um, yeah, um, it's all bobbled up now because of like the parcels rubbing up against it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, see, that was, a, that was a very stressful moment. That was stressful. Um, yeah, yeah. I think more, more abstractly for me, I don't know, it was. Um, so the Kickstarter did a lot better than I uh, I certainly expected. Um, I knew it was, I was a good more idea. Bullish than you were. You were, yeah. yeah. I knew it was a good idea. I knew there was stuff behind it, but we were a very early company. I still double what I thought. <laughs> yeah, but it was double what you thought, and it was about four times what I thought, you yeah. know. Um, and I'd have been happy with, um, you know. Like, yeah, like the quarter yeah. of what we did. Um, so then, when it did do very well, and we were suddenly getting a lot of uh, game press and all sorts and dice breaker articles and um, and a lot of backers, like you know, two thousand four hundred backers, there was suddenly just a lot of pressure, right? So it, it went from like, yeah. this is a cool, fun thing, and we'll we'll throw it out there to like, oh shit, I need we need to like make this, and I need to write a lot of it. Um, so that was a lot. That was a lot of pressure, and then there was a lot of. Um, you know a lot of you, you learn a lot like a lot of logistics and a lot of um yeah a lot of uh yeah just dealing with you know um business stuff but also trying to um be creative and do a lot of writing and playtesting and stuff and just trying to make it as good as possible but also hitting the deadlines which um we were a bit late on and um you know we obviously did want to make the game as good as possible and there was a, a lot of pressure there and that was difficult you know to a degree for me to deal with because um yeah, it's to, a lot, you know, it's a lot. Yeah, you yeah. have to learn a whole other skill set, yeah. you know, in terms of like logistics and production and, you know, all of these things and the, the things you don't necessarily know, but you, you reckon you can figure out. But then it's complicated, man. It's like, you know, sending pallets to America for shipping in America, mm. and, you know, yeah, like um, uh, making sure that everything arrives on time and then goes out on time. And, you know, yeah, like um, even from a layout perspective, like, you know, uh, obviously my background's graphic design. So like, you know, I, I know layout, but layout for print is a whole other animal. You know, yeah. um, and uh, figuring that out. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and um, yeah, just a core bulk of the work. You know, mm. we had a lot of fans and people who liked the initial concept, and it was like, can we deliver this? You know, to the standard that we've um, promised. And I think that is the that's the thing with all Kickstarters, but um, for ours, it. Um, you know, we and we did genuinely expand the game so much and like playtest it so much more because we'd had so much more, so much support from the community. No, you, don't, you don't want to let anyone down, do you? No, you don't. Yeah, yeah. and you've already like, and, and we get a lot of positive comments. But when, you know, when someone isn't happy or something, it does, uh, it does affect you. And often it's like it's fair, you know. Maybe there's a typo, it's, 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 or maybe it just comment, doesn't. You know, often. Yeah, or maybe it's not quite what they expected. Maybe they did want more of a crunchy salvaging system like it was originally or whatever and you do think like oh you think you know you still feel a bit bad even though you think well we still made that decision for like the best of the game um but you know what we thought was the best game in the end um nonetheless it is a decision that we made and it could have been different you, you second guess yourself a bit as well i think no you um, definitely do yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, um yeah you know 
because we could have done there's all sorts of decisions we could have made you know oh we could have made a completely different game a completely different game yeah, and you, yeah, do, yeah. you do wonder sometimes but but we did we did we did our best and I'm still proud of it yeah. Yeah. We, we still talk about that one sometimes like, yeah you know, oh but what if we'd have done yeah, this we'd done you know this. yeah what would you change actually that's a question we yeah. pander back and forth between all each other time. what would you change about change. the game if you had the opportunity to do it now yeah and um, yeah that, that's a hard one mm. you know because um, there's always an answer but yeah, yeah. um we always tend to come back to the same decisions, right? Yeah, I think you do for the most part. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be little niggles and stuff, but um, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, because you you just yeah you just talk through the same conversation you really had again. Yeah, again. Exactly. Yeah. No, I was right. <laughs> it did make sense. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. That leads on to basically one of the last things we have is what are your future plans now? I mean, what's next? What comes out after? After this, uh, so we've we've got a few um, sort of um, projects uh, in the works, as it were. And for Salvage Union, the next thing we do want to work on and release is uh, the Salvage Union starter set, which is a uh, kind of box set with um, a kind of an introductory um, sort of a classic starter set product. It will have like a, a new starter adventure, uh, some nice maps of um, the world, um, and the rule books kind of condensed and split up um, to make them a bit more um, like all the systems and modules split up to make them a bit more manageable and some pre-made characters and some dice and other stuff um, so that's like our, um, our our next idea for salvage um, that we've been uh, working on um, yeah, that one, right? yeah yeah um, and then um, yeah the one we're actively currently working on is uh, it's not a salvage thing um, but it's um, uh, working title Cyblock um, so it's for the uh, Cyborg um, RPG uh, by uh, uh, Johan Noor and um Ah, oh, it's not Liz Pearson, because uh, that was Mockbog. Who worked with Johan on Cyborg? I can't remember that. That's embarrassing for me. Christian? Oh, uh, Christian Sorensen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, um, uh, we're working on a uh, Cyborg mega dungeon, basically. So it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, the movie Dread um, uh, with Carl Urban um, playing Judge Dread. Uh, so it's basically a massive sort of like tower block. Uh, mega dungeon effectively so um, you kind of like it's a campaign in a book um, but it's going to be a really big book because uh, this thing is like 50 stories tall and like you know hundreds of rooms per floor it's like I think our current um, uh, map for it has about like 6,000 rooms so it's like it's it's huge it's vast um, um, but yeah it's about like condensing that into kind of a usable format and how do we do that um so that's that's what we're working on at the moment um uh, which is like really exciting because um I'm, I'm currently working on the uh cover illustration which is really cool it's kind of based around um uh so there's some real world influences as well like um uh the Tori david the tower of david from caracas um so like an abandoned building that's taken over by people who then form a community within that building and sort of fit it out themselves um mixed with that sort of uh, dystopian cyberpunk mega block thing um, like the Vodafone Tower as well, it's got this hollow core, which is like, you know, filled with trash and um, uh, uh, yeah, the, the classic sort of Calvin Walled City kind of vibe thing, right, you know, so um, yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to work on that too. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was actually a, initially a zine project that got a bit out yeah. of control. I think we were talking about like yeah, different zine quest projects, and we we came from that, and it, it seemed like a really cool idea. But then we were like, well, it's a mega block; it can't 
it can't really be a zine, can it? It needs to be. It needs and to we be like, we were like, oh, well, okay, we'll make it a hard, but like, maybe an A4, like similar to Cyber, we like, oh, it probably needs to be A4, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, well, how many, how many pages how many does it take pitch- yeah. to do 50 floors? And then you're like, oh, okay, well, is it 600 pages <laughs> yeah. long? And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're currently trying to manage the scale of it yeah, a little yeah. bit and uh, print costs and stuff, but it's, it's going to be it's going to be big. It's yeah, going to be, like, big. huge. And, um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I feel this year is the, the year of Mega Dungeon. But yeah, Dungeon yeah. 23 was last year, and it was certainly... Um, so yeah. I did a bit of Dungeon 23, and that sort of formed part of the... Um, yeah, the initial part prep. Part of that work. initial yeah. prep and our discussions around it were definitely inspired by Dungeon 23 and us... Um, yeah. yeah, sort of getting excited about Mega Dungeons and then, um, mm. yeah, it's coming together. We've played a bit, a bit of Stonehill recently, haven't we? Yeah, so. yeah we've played Stonehill, um, which yeah. is uh, an old school essentials. Um, actually, it was initially designed for Labyrinth Lord, um, but yeah. I ran it in old school essentials. Um, Labyrinth yeah. Lord's kind of similar to, it's like basic and expert, but with a bit more. Um, it was actually sort of basic and expert, but they were a bit more worried about whether they'd get sued. So they just kept it like <laughs> a bit more different. I mean, OSC came along and was like, nah, we'll just make it basically the same. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, we've been playing Stonehill. Uh, yeah, we ran a playtest of it actually at um, Contingency we were at recently. A playtest yeah, yeah. of Cyblock, um, which went really well as well. Yeah, um, the, um, I actually played in it. And um, uh, who was it? Was it uh, Johnny McKenzie yeah, that had yeah. the laser? Yeah, no. So um, uh, yeah, Johnny destroyed 21 floors um, with one shot, which was kind of quite fun. Um, so uh, yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it ran quite well, didn't it? it yeah, yeah, fun. no, it, it did work. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically done now, isn't it? Then that's uh, easy. Finished, yeah, 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 it's done. Yeah, one run session. It was easy, yeah. easy, easy. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, we don't, we don't have fifty floors to it. It was good, though. It felt good. It reminded <laughs> me in a weird way about our first, so the first like playtest I did with Salvage Union, where I was like, okay, this there, there is a game here. Like, I tend to really need. I have to run something before I feel any confidence yeah. about it. <laughs> like until I've run something, I'm always like, uh, this is is this good? I don't know. This is probably yeah, we bad. We're so different in that. Yeah. All I have to do is be able to visualize the cover and like, <laughs> you know, what it aesthetically looks like, and I'm like, yeah, no, cool. I can see that. That's a product. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, no, but it, does it actually play well? Yeah. <laughs> it's why we need to team up. Because yeah. like you know, otherwise I would produce very nice looking things that are just like crap to play. Amazing covers. Yeah. <laughs> amazing covers, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Any plans on going to Comic Con at all, or anything like that this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we Comic Con, all the cons. So yeah, yeah Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, we're planning. We've got going. something to sell now. That's the, yeah, we that's have. the lovely thing. Something we've been big. going to cons for so many years, and it's like we've just got like little zine things, and we don't have zine a big things, book. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we sell a promise. Don't we? We've been doing pre-orders. Yeah, like, it's going to be great, guys. Yeah. Um, we've done like three different quick starts. Sorry, what was that? Are you going to go to the October Comic Con in London? Uh, I think uh, yeah, uh, the, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're London. We're London based, so yeah, that makes yeah. sense for us. Um, yep. So probably Comic Con, definitely oh, UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tabletop um, Scotland's Tabletop on the list. Scotland's on the list. Um, Galcon, Galcon as well. Yeah. Oh, and did you say Scotland? Which one? Uh, Tabletop Scotland is in. Uh, is it in Perth? I think. No, I think it's Edinburgh. Was oh, it in Edinburgh this year? It was in Perth last year, wasn't it? And Jay will see you there by the sounds of it. Yeah, they change venue. Eventually, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, they change venues. If it's so, in Glasgow, yeah. I'm not fucking going. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, it's Edinburgh. Okay. Um, yeah, no, we're um, yeah, we're we're planning all of that. We're in the planning yeah, stages. But planning yeah, stages. Um, yeah, we want to do. We're trying to hit everything really. Um, and um, yeah, we won't be at Gen Con. I don't think. Um, uh, probably not. But we may. Uh, uh, who knows? Local, yeah. But yeah. Um, there may we'll be people see. stocking salvaging at Gen yes, Con. We don't know. Be, but, yeah. No. No confirmation uh, on that yet. But, but uh, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Um, we're trying to arrange that. And we might be there just as. 
as punters, as lads just turning up. Lads on tour? Lads, as lads. Um. Um, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know if we'll be, um, we, well, we, we won't be, um, probably won't be um, we won't have uh, a stand. exhibiting, yeah. Um, but, Which would be uh, nice, actually, because contingency was fun for that. Like um, when, when, having when, fun at a convention. I know, <laughs> yeah. right? Like when when you're selling stuff, you rarely get to actually like just play games and go around and have fun. So that was really. I nice, mean, actually. the highlight for conventions for me these days are just sitting down, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. or putting on my con slippers. Yeah, your con slippers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con slippers. Yeah. No, Paddy's very well known. There. He he brings a pair of slippers to him to every convention, and um, he immediately changes out of his shoes into slippers. Because um, we don't have soft floor, you know, so yeah, it's uh, hmm. yeah. It's not a bad no, no, it really works. Yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't. Just feet end up killing. Tell you what, I tell you what, I've seen it a con before. Someone walking around in the cosplay of like a tall character with platform Uggs. Platform Uggs. Oh my god, that's platform Uggs. That's such Damn. a contradiction in terms. It's like the most comfortable shoe mixed with the most uncomfortable shoe, surely. Um, is that just to make, make it a regular shoe? <laughs> regular comfort level, maybe. Definitely not regular looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I oh. the last thing then is uh, where can people find you guys online? Your socials, websites, things like that. Yeah, so um, you can uh, find us our website uh, www.leyline.press you can uh, pick up Salvage Union uh, from us directly there, as well as the free adventure modules with a system. Uh, we were here first, Rainmaker and Force Flag, and some dice and patches and other bits and pieces. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Uh, you can follow at Leyline Press, and you can also follow at Salvage Union. And uh, those same uh, tags are on yeah Instagram, and uh, we're on we're like Blue Sky and various other things as well. But generally, at Leyline Press or at Salvage Union will find us. Yeah, pretty much all yeah. platforms. Right? Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you guys and having you on the show. Thank you again, Panny, for running us the game, which you did. That should be coming up the same time as this does. Mm, yeah, that was um, a lot of fun yeah. to run. Uh, yeah. That was hilarious. Um, did you hear the preview Styles gave you? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was. Uh, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I listened to the preview. It was. Um, yeah, it was all good. Audio was really clean as well. So yeah. Nice. Right, well, without further ado, uh, anything else, Jay, you want to say? Nope. No? Well, right, thank you very much, and goodbye. Yeah, thanks thank very you. much for your time. Cheers, guys. <laughs>